If you have your Bibles today, you can open up with me to the book of Luke. We're actually going to go through verse 12 today. I uh, told Sharita earlier in the week we were going through verse 10 and forgot to tell her we were going through 12, so that's my fault. I changed my mind, decided we were going through verse 12. Luke chapter 12 and verses 8 through 12. In verse 11, Jesus goes on to say, And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourselves or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you need to say or what needs to be said. So we'll go through verse 12. But we begin the passage in verse 8. And it's a very interesting passage of Scripture. deals with some very interesting subject matter. One of which, right away, I'm sure you picked out as we read through the passage, is the unpardonable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Is there really one sin for which you can never be forgiven? And if that be the case, we need to know what that sin is, right? I mean, we need to know what it is so we might avoid doing that. Because if there really is something for which you can never be forgiven, we certainly want to avoid that, right, as people. Uh, and we're going to get into that in just a minute. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But to begin with, we see Jesus speaking here to the people and says, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, everyone who acknowledges here on earth the Son of Man will also he acknowledged in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, and that was a title given to Jesus, can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, Jesus <clears throat> was at this moment a man walking the earth just as we are walking the earth as human beings. And there were people in his generation who either believed in him or rejected him and his ministry. They rejected or believed his identity and his purpose for being. And Jesus is speaking a word to them personally, to the people of that generation personally with these first few verses. He says, if you believe in me as the Messiah, I will acknowledge you in heaven when we get to the other place. When we leave this earth, I'm going to acknowledge you there because you, in my generation, acknowledged me here. Now, if you reject me here, but later you become convicted by the Holy Spirit of my identity and purpose for being here and receive me by faith, because a lot of these folks would outlive him, certainly, he says, then you can be assured of the fact that I will still forgive you for what you said against me while I was on the earth. I will forgive you for not believing in me while I was walking the earth. And you will be saved and I will acknowledge you before the angels of heaven. Jesus was giving a personal, specific word in these first few verses to the people of his generation. That as you are walking among me, some of you are going to reject me while I'm among you. Just know that you can receive me later. You can be forgiven that. Then he says, but if... Anyone blasphemes, speaks against the witness of the Holy Spirit concerning my identity and my ministry as Christ, that person will never be forgiven. That person is lost. Matthew gives an account of this and speaks to this in chapter 12, verse 31 of his book, his gospel. He says, so I tell you, recording the words 
here of Jesus. Every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit's Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Now, the word blaspheme means to speak reproachfully, to rail at, to revile. To blaspheme is to utterly reject something or someone and to consider it evil. So what Jesus is saying here is if someone, anyone, utterly rejects, reviles, and considers evil the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning the identity and the work of Jesus Christ, that person is lost forever. They will never be forgiven for rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning who I am and why I came. They will be lost. Now, we immediately, when we hear this, say, well, I don't understand. I didn't accept Jesus right away. Maybe you're one of those folks. You say, for a while I did reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit. I did ignore the conviction of the Spirit of the living God about the identity of Jesus and who He was. There was a time I didn't believe, and now I do believe. Did I commit the unpardonable sin? Am I lost forever? The answer to that question would certainly be no. I had a pastor one time tell me, an old pastor, this was a long time ago, he said, if you're concerned about having committed, committed this sin, you can be assured of one thing, you haven't. Because the Holy Spirit is still dealing with you. Let me explain something here. The timing of this sin is important on when it happens. We need to understand that this is a sin that is committed once and for all. You come to a point in time where you commit this sin knowingly and it's over. And when that point is, is different for every person and I can't tell you when that happens. But one thing we know is this. This sin is committed when the matter of Christ in your life is decided in your heart once and for all. You see... What Jesus is talking about here is a point in time when a person decides once and for all, they settle the matter of who they believe Jesus is. There comes a point in time when the matter is settled and the Holy Spirit departs and no longer is that person convicted concerning the identity of Christ. For some people, it's going to be on judgment day when they fully come into this. For other people, it's on this side of heaven. And again, I cannot answer for you when that happens for anyone. Some of you guys this morning may be concerned and worried about somebody that you know who for years has rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may this morning be wondering, have they passed the point of no return? And I don't know the answer to that question. The one thing I do know is that Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, 26 and 28 makes very clear to us there is a point in time when God turns a person's heart over to their desires he gives them up to their desires their heart is hardened a point at which god turns them over to their lust and abandons them to do shameful things that their hearts desire as one person said if you live in a grave graveyard too long you stop crying when someone dies that's what happens they become hardened they no longer hear the testimony of the holy spirit they're no longer convicted to their need of salvation. No longer convicted about their sinfulness. God gives them up to what some old timers used to call a reprobate mind. 
He gives them over to what they want. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on any of us. He woos us. He convicts us. He speaks to us. He testifies to us. He showers mercy upon us and grace and love upon us. But if a person continually rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects and rejects the testimony of God, if they continue to to harden their heart against the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if they speak ill of and revile God and His conviction, there comes a point in time when God takes His hand off. And they're lost. Now, the Holy Spirit, and we need to understand this about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicts us about sin and the truth. We need to understand how this happens. God is a, is a very merciful God, isn't He? I mean, Scripture makes very clear that a bruised reed He will not break. A smoldering wick He will not put out. God has an infinite amount of grace and mercy for us. He loves us incredibly so. So much that He demonstrated His love for us by dying on the cross for us. So I want you to understand something here. God's mercy is immense. God's grace is incredible. And God's love is incomprehensible. But He is never going to force someone into a relationship with Him. He's simply not going to do it. Now, I think for many, and maybe even most, and maybe even the vast majority, I think through the end of your life, you have an opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior because you have not settled the matter. See, I think where the devil has most people is not committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but I think just putting off a decision concerning who Jesus is. They just continue to put it off. And put it off. They don't speak evil of Jesus. They don't revile the witness of the Holy Spirit. They don't, they don't speak against Christ or the witness of His Holy Spirit. They just never listen. And they just put it off and put it off and put it off and ignore it and ignore it and ignore it until they die. And on Judgment Day, they realize the grave error that they've made in life. But there are those people who revile God. And revile His Holy Spirit. There are people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And on this side of heaven, God turns them over to their hardened heart. Their reprobate mind. He turns them over to their lustful desires, as Roman 1 says, and turns them loose. And they go, now, how many people this affects? I have no idea. What percentage of the population for time and eternity? I have absolutely no idea. Isn't it wonderful to have a pastor who says he has no idea? You know, anybody who stands in the pulpit and says they have all the answers, they have no idea. All right? You need to probably leave that place as quick as you came in. We don't have all the answers. One thing we know, Jesus says, blasphemy the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. We understand ultimately that means unbelief. But more than unbelief, it means something much more deeper than unbelief. It means that they have rejected the testimony of the Holy Spirit of the living God and they cannot be forgiven but if you this morning have not made up your mind concerning who Jesus Christ is you just need to know you're not one of these people who have committed the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit if you have concern about your soul and eternity and if you're still considering Christ and the claims that that are made about him in the scriptures you need to understand you have not committed the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit 
And there is time for you and there is hope for you this morning. That if you would listen to the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life, even this morning. And you can enter a relationship with Him. And for time and eternity, that relationship will be protected and guarded by God. And you will have a home in heaven. Now, that is for you this morning, if you are still one of the indecisive folks. And, and I believe that all of us here are either one of two groups. We are either saved, we are in the family of God and part of His people, or we are part of the great undecided otherwise you wouldn't be here this morning you're either know christ or you're thinking about knowing christ and i encourage you this morning if you're not sure about jesus or your relationship with him don't leave here the way you walked in because god is real and the conviction in your heart that you feel that's from god and there's no guarantee it's always going to be there so this morning is your day of salvation Today is the day God is calling you, and don't leave here today the way you walked in. Make sure that you do business with God today, because God's Holy Spirit is real. God's Holy Spirit is not just limited to getting us saved. We move on here in verse 10 and following, and we see there's a continued ministry of the Holy Spirit that God promises, that Jesus promises to those who follow Him. <clears throat> he says, when you're brought to trial. It's interesting here he does not say if you're brought to trial, right? He says when you're brought to trial. Just to be something that you expect as a follower of Christ is persecution. He says when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. The ministry of the Holy Spirit continues on in our lives God gives us what we need to say and how we need to say it and even the boldness to say it so we might make a defense of our faith, so we might share Christ with others, so that we might help others come into the family of God. This is an interesting thing. The Holy Spirit is convicting the hearts of unbelievers of the truth. The Holy Spirit is convicting them that they are sinners, convicting them what sin is, convicting them of the reality of God's existence and convicting them that Christ died on the cross for their sins. And then God... Mystery of all mysteries decides that he's going to use your mouth and mine to encourage them, to teach them, and to help them how they might know to be a part of the family of Christ. Isn't that something else? God chose to use us. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, does it? You would think, and we, I'm sure, could come up with all kinds of plans that we think would be better than that. God, you should have used angels. You should have used great miracles. You should have just split the sky every time someone turns 13 and speak to them directly. But he chose none of these things. He chose you and he chose me. He put his Holy Spirit in our heart. And scripture tells us in Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he speaks through us. And this is testimony to that fact right here. Jesus says, don't you worry, even when you come to those stressful moments, even when you come to those dire places, when you are arrested, when you are brought to trial for your faith. Don't you worry about what you're going to say. I'm going to put the words into your mouth. I'm going to give you what you need to say in that moment. And I'm going to show you how to say it. Now we, we, we run into a problem here because oftentimes we depend on self. And we depend on what we think we know or what we've learned. Folks say, well, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to share my faith. Are you saved? If you're saved, you share your testimony. 
If you're saved, you depend and trust in the Holy Spirit within you to give you the right words to say. You say, well, I, I don't know. It's not about what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to start the conversation. If you depend on Christ, he's going to begin that conversation for you. All kinds of ways to start conversations. All kinds of methods by which we might share the gospel. If we depend on Christ, he'll make it happen. So often we're like a, a story I read recently about a lady who had a pet dog who was sick. And every day she would put the medicine on the spoon and try to force it down this dog's throat. And it didn't work. It just didn't work at all. Until one day on accident she knocked the bottle over and spilt it on the floor. And here came the dog lapping it up. The dog wasn't rejecting the medicine. The dog was rejecting the method by which she was attempting to get the medicine into the dog. The dog needed the medicine, needed the healing power of the medicine. Wasn't rejecting the medicine, just rejecting the method. And so often our methods are rejected because they are of man and not of God. And listen, we need to begin to depend on the Holy Spirit for our methods as well as our message. Jesus says, I'm going to give you in every situation exactly the right thing to say. Depend on me and watch it happen. And that's our role in this. Our role is to depend on Christ. Well, that means really doing that. That means praying. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone today my faith in you? And then as we walk through our day and we see that opportunity and we're convicted in our heart, Here's that opportunity. Here's where you need to do it. Lord, would you give me the right words to say? Would you help me to know what to say, how to say it, so that I might share in a method, in a way that you intend for this moment? You'll be surprised what God gives you and how God starts conversations. I, I have started conversations with people with some of the silliest, craziest things. I saw yesterday I was sitting in Chick-fil-A, with Doug Beck talking with him, having lunch. I looked up, and there's somebody checking out up there, a lady. And on her calf, she had a tattoo of Elvis Presley. She came walking by my table, and there was my opportunity. Now, I didn't get into the gospel with her that time, but I had a conversation with her. I tried. She wasn't interested in talking. She was going to move on, but she was cordial and nice. But we talked about her tattoo. Of Elvis Presley. You see, you'll be surprised what God gives you. You'll be surprised the ideas God puts in your head because he's living. He's alive. And this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to come up with this stuff yourself. You don't have to sit at home and think, I need ten ways for conversation starters. You just have to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is giving you in the moment. And you'll be shocked at what God gives you in the moment. Jesus has promised this for us. He has promised this for us as followers of Christ. I'm going to give you the methods. I'm going to be with you moment by moment. I'm going to make this happen. The question is, is will we do it? You know, one thing that God gave me while I was on vacation, it's always terrifying when a pastor goes on vacation what he's going to have when he comes back, right? Like what kind of? Crazy ideas are going to come up with this time. Well, let me tell you what God laid on my heart. Christians today, most of us, we talk too much and do too little. We study the Word of God cover to cover, 
learn a lot and do very little with what we learn. We talk a good talk and we don't walk much of a walk. And we might morally, we might get those things right. We may morally toe the line pretty good on the do's and don'ts of what we learn along the way and we depend on Christ for that and that's great and that's good. But why are we here? We're here to glorify God. What does that mean? To make much of God. Some folks will say today, you'll see the hip guys in skinny jeans get up and preach and say, it means making much of Jesus. And that's true. I have nothing against that message whatsoever. I'm not going to wear skinny jeans. I'm not skinny. But, yeah, that's what it means to glorify God. Let's go make Jesus famous. That's another one of their lines. Let's make Jesus famous. That's our purpose on earth. And that's true. You know, God could take us from here as soon as we accept Him as Savior and Lord, unless we had a purpose here. And our purpose here is to become more and more like Jesus as we live, worship Him and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, fulfilling the great commission in the process. We talk about it, but how much do we do it? So, here's what. God spoke to my heart, I believe. We're just going to start doing things. And you know what? I believe God's going to make us really uncomfortable here together sometimes. Do you know why? I'm not going to guilt you into anything. I'm not going to shame us into anything. But do you know there are times I believe that God is going to lay things on our heart where I'm just going to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And let me give you an example of this, just a very specific example of what's coming in the next few weeks. We're going to have children's church, children's worship, whatever you want to call it, when we have kickoff Sunday. You know how many volunteers we need for this? 24. And that means that some folks are going to need to volunteer for that and extended session. And this is what we believe God is leading us to do. This is the ministry we believe God is giving us as a discipleship opportunity for our kids. So I'm going to ask you to pray about that. And we're going to pray about it over the next several weeks. And then you know what? I'm just going to stand here at the end of the service and say, how many people say, yes, God's called me to that. And you know what? If we don't have 24 volunteers for that, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to do the ministry. We're not going to try to do it with 12. Either God hadn't called us to that and we missed God on that. God's called us to some different way of doing that that we just haven't seen yet. But you know, here's the thing, is that God's given us a mission together. And we're discovering what that is together. And we're walking in that together. And we're praying over that together. And Rachel prays over that, and I pray over that, and Matt prays over that, we all pray over that. Deacons all pray over that. Sharita prays over that. We're seeking God for the specifics of what that is. We're seeking for the right methods. And God directs us to the right methods so we might accomplish our great purpose together. And if we don't have the people to do it, then there's some other way God's called us to do it as a church. Because you see, at the end of the day, we can't just be people that talk. We have to be a people that talk and walk. See, the real question is, is are we going to fulfill God's call on our life having faith in and putting our trust in God's power to get the job done. Because you see, if we don't have enough volunteers, it's not God who made the mistake, it's us. Either we have not been obedient to follow Him, or we have missed His vision in some way. Either way, 
We can't move forward. See, if it's a matter of walking the walk, there's no, no reason to attempt walking if all we want to do is talk. And if it's the vision that's the problem, then it's a matter of praying, seeking Christ until we get the right one. You see, Jesus has promised us everything that we need to fulfill the ministry that he's given us to do individually, personally, as well as corporately. It's a matter of trusting in him and following after him. Now, I believe we'll get 24 folks. I, I really believe that because I believe this is the right vision. I think this is what God's called us to do. But I'm, I believe it'll mean for many of us stepping up and making sacrifices and it means making those sacrifices with great joy at the opportunity God gives us because it's a ministry he's given us to do. I always tell folks, I say, if God hasn't called you to a ministry, don't you dare do it. Because you're not going to have the joy of the Lord. You're not going to have the Lord's hand upon you. You're not going to have the Lord's blessing. There's no reason for you to step out and try to do it. God hasn't called you to do it. Don't do it. It'd be better for us to see that it's not God's will because of a lack of people to do it than it is to have folks just fill in roles they're not called to do. Because we're going to find the Lord's will in the midst of all of this. We're going to find His vision. And we're going to walk in His power. The question is, will we? We can, but will we? There's an old Episcopal bishop by the name of Sam Shoemaker some years ago. He said, in the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be like Peter, fishers of men. We turn the commission around so that we have become merely keepers of the aquarium. Occasionally I take some fish out of your fish bowl and put it into mine, and you do the same with my bowl. But we're all just really tending fish. I thought that was a great illustration of people who talk the talk and don't walk the walk. It's not our responsibility to... Get people saved. It is our responsibility to share the gospel. And it is our responsibility to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in His ministry in this world. He is convicting the hearts of people today. They might reject Him. They might even blaspheme the Holy Spirit and settle the matter on this side of heaven. Some will do that. We're not responsible for the decision they make. But we are responsible for our part in the process and that God is not just depending on His Holy Spirit alone to convict them, but He is going to use us and put words in our mouth to aid in that conviction, so to speak. He is going to bring that together with His conviction. The Holy Spirit is the one who saves, not us. But somewhere along the way, He has made us a part of the process by His choice. And He has promised to give us the words to say in that process. It's an amazing, wonderful thing if we'll do it. There was a young salesman who was disappointed about losing a big sale, and as he talked with his sales manager, he lamented. He said this. He said, I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And to which the manager replied, Son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Your job is to make him thirsty. And that's our job, is to make him thirsty. Right now there are billions of people, billions with a B, people all around the world who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. There are millions of people in the United States of America who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. There are thousands of people within a 
several mile radius of where we stand today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord of their life. The Holy Spirit is convicting their hearts even now without a word out of our mouth. God has put His Word in our mouth so that we might bring the right method and that right Word to cooperate with that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's going on within their heart right now so that they might come into the kingdom of God. Who's committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Those who've settled the matter and rejected Christ. Those who revile, reject, deny, and consider evil the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. But most folks have not decided. Most folks have not decided. This morning, if you have not decided that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord of your life, today is the day. No better day than today to make that decision. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation where we invite people to respond to what the Spirit of God may be convicting you of this morning, that you do not know Jesus. And so we invite you to come. Come and receive Him as your Savior. And then for those of us as believers in Christ, listen, pray, and ask God to do what He promised to do in Luke chapter 12, verse 10 through 12 this morning. And no matter what situation you're in, no matter what circumstances, no matter what stress you're under, what difficult situation may lie ahead, that at all times and always the Holy Spirit is giving you the method and the words as well as the boldness to say what Jesus has done for you. God's going to open up the doors, and Lord, I'm going to walk through those doors, and I'm depending on you. Would you this morning depend on Christ? And would you share Christ this week?